We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Pineapple Pizza Podcast discusses the histories, cultures, and beliefs of regions around the world. These stories often contain mature and sometimes disturbing content that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Pineapple Pizza Podcast, where we serve up delicious slices of mythology, cryptozoology, and urban legends. It's an interesting combination of flavors. Weird, but it works. Today's special is a charcuterie plate of French cuisine, sure to scare and shock you. I'm your hostess, Lindsay, and with me are the enchanting and effervescent Ashley and Emily. Ooh, effervescent. I like that. Hello. You're like a, you're like a refreshing macquoi. Because I'm bougie. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Oh, no. Um, I don't think that you could use anything French to describe me, because that's how not classy I am, but that's okay. I like it. I like you. I like you, too. I like you a whole bunch. (laughs) (laughs) You're like my tasty eclair. But I won't won't eat you, because... Cannibalism, cannibalism bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to get it in within like the first five minutes because we all know that I could talk all the time about cannibalism. So. I mean, who doesn't want to get it in, <laughs> in the first five minutes? <laughs> At least it wasn't like a cannibalistic charcuterie plate. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> <laughs> it's all spam. <laughs> it always makes me think of that clip from um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where he goes, and that, my children, is called cannibalism. Frowned <laughs> <laughs> upon. It is frowned upon, I agree. But also, we should talk about it a lot. <laughs> it doesn't get talked about enough. Normalize talking about cannibalism. <laughs> and mental health issues, but mostly cannibalism. <laughs> so, okay, I'll list of priorities. It's going to be cannibalism. <laughs> mental health issues well yeah let's be honest i didn't get this messed up by putting mental health issues first right. <laughs> real talk real talk <laughs> laying it all out on the table <laughs> along with the spam <laughs> all right we're getting sued by spam <laughs> they're gonna come after us well, to start off the evening, our hors d'oeuvres may have you singing for the rest of your supper. Yeah, that was a nice segue. Be our guest. Is that what they're going to sing? In my head, that's what they're going <laughs> to sing. There better be dancing plates. Maybe. Yes. I knew it. So when I mention Broadway, one of the most popular musicals to ever grace the stage is that of The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, I thought you were going to say Lemus. I thought so, too. No. Well, I mean, that too, but not in this story. I stole bread. (laughs) (laughs) You can't have bread. Aw, but French bread's so good. I know it is. Put a little olive oil on there. Yum. Anyway, adapted from a novel of the same name by French author Gaston Leroux, 
It was published as a serial in Le Gouloir between September 23, 1909 and January 8, 1910. The story is partially inspired by historical events that took place at the Paris Opera during the 19th century. That's the 1800s. That was also for my benefit. <laughs> <laughs> The opera Garni, or Palais Garni, was the brainchild of Napoleon III, after he barely escaped an assassination attempt via bomb at the opera of Rue La Pelletie. Can we pause for a minute? There、What? was a third Napoleon. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. France? Why? Why France? Tricorner hat means you need at least three Napoleons. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Just to do it justice, they、yeah. all have to be short and put their hand on their stomach、mm-hmm. through their shirt buttons. I saw somebody、yeah. do that today, and I called them Napoleon, <laughs> and they just gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> Shut up! Oh, what's up, Napoleon? After his near brush with death, Napoleon set out to build a new opera house with a private entrance where he could enjoy the opera safely. Bougie, bougie AF. In 1860, Napoleon held an international competition to choose who would design the new opera house. Me. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bunch of matchsticks. It is. <laughs> All like glued together with Elmers. Light <laughs> up. This heart is on fire. <laughs> She sang. Someone get her supper. Here's <laughs> <laughs> some bread. <laughs> Of 171 proposals, the build went to an unknown architect named Charles Garni, who at that time was only 34 years old. Oh my God! It was me. <laughs> Garni disliked the site of the new opera house. It was diamond-shaped, and his repeated requests for a new location fell on deaf ears. They were like, "Suck it up and deal with it." Construction began in 1861 and took 15 years to finish. Garni designed everything. He worked with artists, including 15 principal artists, 75 sculptors, and a score of other artisans who all worked tirelessly on the opera Garni. In 1862, the builders discovered an underground lake beneath the site. So this、yes. was a year after <laughs> they started construction. In order to keep building, they created a stone cistern or artificial lake for the water and underground tunnels. As a result of this, Garnier's plans for the opera house were often mocked. During its construction, the facade was always covered, so no one knew what the building was actually going to look like until its big reveal in 1875. So, if you've looked at the outside of this building, it is gorgeous. It's got statues everywhere of like Greek gods and goddesses. There's A statue of the archangel Michael at the very top, like it's it's gorgeous. Like people immediately after it was revealed were like, "Oh shit, that's actually really really good." <laughs> like, <laughs> like they were like eating their words as soon as the the protective cloths fell down. In so, modern day, they would have gotten on Reddit and been like, "Am I the asshole?" And the answer would have been a resounding, "Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are." <laughs> We thought that he was brown bagging his own work. Yeah, it looks like bologna and cheese. No one wants that. No one wants. That. 
The interior is constructed of four sections, the entrance, auditorium, stage, and administrative offices. And the stage itself is one of Europe's largest. There are elements of LaRue's novel that mimic real-life events that took place at the Opera Garni. In his book, the Phantom has a chandelier fall from the ceiling. Yes. Killing multiple people in the audience so he can, so he can kidnap Christine. In 1896, a counterweight fell from the real chandelier and killed a woman in the audience. All I can think of right now is Sia. I want to swing from a chandelier. From a chandelier. Ouch. <laughs> She's going to die like real hard if she does that is what we're just finding out. So yep. don't do it. Don't do it. Not not a good choice, Sia. Please don't. Just Please settle don't. for like one of those uh, classy slide down the stair banners. You know, yep. instead. As long as it doesn't have, doesn't have the knob at the end. That's a problem. Yeah. Eh, you can have a bruised or broken coccyx. No one cares. <laughs> just put like a pillow at the end. <laughs> can you even imagine like strapping a little pillow at the end? <laughs> it's like a little throw pillow. <laughs> this is perfect for my tushy. <laughs> Oh, good. That cushion, that crotch. Delightfully. (laughs) (laughs) That went off the rails right there. (laughs) In the May 21st, 1896 edition of Le Maton, a headline about the incident read as, quote, 500 kilos on a concierge's head, end quote. Uh, 500 kilos is 1,100 pounds. That's a lot. It was actually a weight that was around 10 kilos or 22 pounds, but it did kill a woman named Madame Chomate. So it lands on your head. Yeah. 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 That's no fun. No. LaRue heard a rumor during a visit to the opera house in 1908 that one of Garnier's architects, a man named Eric, asked if he could live under the structure and no one had heard from him since. Oh, good. He's a mole person. (laughs) Mole people. Yeah. He's like, I'm just going to live here now in the dark under the opera house. That's totally normal. Listen, most of the time that sounds pretty good to me. (laughs) You get some good music, probably, right? Ash sticks or whatever. Are you a chud? I don't know what that is. A cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller? No. <laughs> no. Um, she is a HUD, but not a not a chud. Yeah, because as we've discussed, uh, cannibalism is just a research interest. I don't actually participate in it. I've never eaten a person that we know of. <laughs> I watched the series Hannibal. He tricks people. Can't be too careful. Yep. A local legend states that in 1873, a young pianist named Ernest found himself horribly disfigured (laughs) during a fire. I know, it's Yes, we are that immature. I laughed at the word pianist. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh my god. I know. It's because Lindsay said it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. Piano artistic. Named Ernest, found himself horribly disfigured during a fire in the music conservatory. 
<laughs> she was That's an earth. We laughed. We're talking about someone being horribly disfigured. I promise, it's still holdover from Venus. It's not. I don't think. I don't think skin grafts are funny. I swear. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, I think I'm good. Okay. His fiance was a ballerina that was said to have passed away in the same fire. Which okay. was a lot more common than you would think during that period of time. Because tulle was a new thing and they covered it in material that was highly flammable. And considering <laughs> they still used gas lights at that time, you got a little too close to one on the stage, you would basically go up in flames. Like you would just instantly be immolated pretty much. So that's a little fun fact for you. The legend goes on to say that following his fiance's death, Ernest spent the rest of his life in the vault of Opera Garnier, believing that his disfigured face was too hideous for the outside world, as well as that living by the water would protect him from any future fires, which is a legitimate concern. It makes a little bit of sense. Because as I mentioned before, there's an underground lake under the building. Ernest was said to have devoted the rest of his life to the completion of his Hervé, a hymn about love and death to honor his fiancée and his body was never found. That's so French. I'm it's sorry. so it's French. <laughs> but to be fair, I couldn't find anything about an actual fire, so I feel like this story is just like an urban legend. Mm-hmm. Most likely. But it was pretty messed up, so I included it. I like it. Because that's what I do. That's so French. <laughs> that's so French. The fictional character Christine from the novel was possibly modeled after a real-life soprano named Christine Nilsson. Like the fictional Christine, Nilsson was Swedish, with blonde hair and blue eyes, came from a poor family, was forced to leave home at an early age, and eventually ended up in Paris. In the novel, a body is uncovered in the vaults of the opera house, where the phonographic records are kept. This detail in the novel could be based on actual fact, as the commune was an actual event that took place in 1871. The commune was an event? Yes. A revolutionary utopian government called the commune seized control of Paris for two months and used the opera for a number of things. During its construction, the opera house was a shelter and storehouse for munitions during the Prussian, the Prussian, 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 the Prussian siege of Paris. And it's a known fact that bodies continue to be found to this day around the opera. That's so French. Come on. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. Between May 21st to the 28th, 1871, around 25,000 Parisians died. So the chances of corpses ending up in the opera house is pretty high. Dang, that's that's a big number. That's a huge number of people. Today, if you visit Opera Garnier, you may notice that box number five is always vacant. That's because it is always reserved for the Phantom of the Opera himself and their resident ghost. Lastly, here's a fun fact for you. The stone cistern under the opera house is now used by local firefighters so they can train for underwater rescue missions. Okay, that's cool. Right? But they still haven't found the guy down there, right? No. No, because he's a mole person. He's probably been eaten by rats at this point. Like, you're not going to find him. Or sewer gators. Sewer gators. Oh, I like that theory. 
I like it a lot. And even <laughs> if they did find his body, they probably think he was one of the 25,000 Parisians mm-hmm. that died during the siege of Paris. They yeah. would, they'd misidentify him, solve they'd, it. They'd be like, we don't have dental records of Ernest, so we don't know. Or Eric. The bike man. Sorry. You guys wouldn't catch that reference. That's a very <laughs> Minnesota thing. <laughs> <laughs> We've got... <laughs> We've got a local bike shop <laughs> called Eric's Bikes, and it's like all over the Twin Cities metro. And there's their like jingle is Eric the Bike Man. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> so, to any Minnesotans who listen to this, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> They're the only ones that get it. So, ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Discover Walks blog post titled 10 Scary Urban Legends of Paris by Natalie, a 2021 The Geographical Cure blog post titled Guide to Paris, Paris's Opera Garni, Inside the Phantom's Lair by Leslie Livingston, a 2016 The Culture Trip article titled Paris's Most Mysterious Urban Legends by Diana Vernon, a 2015 Mental Floss article titled The Truth About the Phantom of the Opera by Stacey Conrad. A 2014 Messy Messy Chic blog post titled Unmasking the Parisian Phantom of the Opera by Rosanna Crossman and Wikipedia. Very nice. So, um, do we want to plug our Patreon? <laughs> Pull a Sean. <laughs> I don't know, Sean. Do we want to plug our Patreon? <laughs> Well, now that we've had a taste, I'll be right back with your next aperitif. And uh, while you're waiting, you could always head on over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser or Good Pods or Spotify and just take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review. Just going to throw that out there. Mention cannibalism and give <laughs> you a shout-out. <laughs> Enjoying the meal? Consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple, Podchaser, Good Pods, or Spotify. It's free, and it helps our little restaurant get noticed by others with your spectacularly good taste. If you want to help support the restaurant, you can rock some of our merch from our Tea Public shop or buy us a fresh slice on Buy Me a Coffee, because we can never get enough. If you simply can't get enough pineapple pizza, become a donor on Patreon and earn all kinds of amazing benefits. We have three tiers to accommodate almost any budget. Become a patron today and start enjoying all the perks and extra content right away. You can find all the links to our social media, streaming platforms, and support pages in the show notes and on pineapplepizzapodcast.com. That's pineapplepizzapodcast.com. Thanks for waiting. The next course will make you glad you decided to stay home from church today. Because it's Sunday. Because I do that so much. I go to the church. (laughs) Yes, just today. Today was the day we stayed home. Just today. If you travel to Normandy, more precisely around 30 kilometers or 21 miles southeast of Rouen, you'll find what is said to be one of the most haunted places in all of France. Abbaye de Mortemer is a 12th century... That's 11. Cistercian Monastery, and at the time it was built, it was one of the largest of its kind in the world. But even from the very beginning, this place has a very creepy history. 
ashes do tell do tell i want to know so much (laughs) built in 1134 on the orders of henri the first leclerc first duke of normandy king of england and fourth son of william the conqueror so i guess you could say his name was also henry the first but i'm gonna say henri the monks who constructed the abbey had to first reclaim the marshy land and dry it before they could even put in the foundations. The name, Mortemer, comes from the Latin Mortemer, or Dead Pond, which is where the abbey gets its name. So already off to a great start. A dead pond? I'd like it better if it were a dead pool. <laughs> 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 Dead pond. That's where they go and they drown everybody. Yep. They leave their bodies. The monks who were affiliated with Cistercian with the like this word that, is so hard. That word is hard. In her defense, I fucking have trouble with it every time I say it. Too. Yep. Cistercian order were able to live fairly independently thanks to the pigeons they raised, and then <laughs> the lamprey perch and. Tench fish ponds. I wasn't prepared for pigeons. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh my god. As well as the wine and honey that the friars produced. They were led by Abbot Alexandre from Boumont le Peru, who sought to protect his monks from worldly diversions. So he was like, let's stay away from everyone else, shall we? I like to imagine him as being like, fun is bad and we should avoid it. Don't do that. Stay here. But pigeons. Raise pigeons. <laughs> it feels very cult-like. Yeah. Like, this kind of makes me think of um, Heaven's Gate cults. Like, good, let's keep ourselves away from any outward interests so they don't mm-hmm. divert us from our beliefs. Yep. So the construction took several decades, as the monks were only able to pay for supplies through donations. The chapter house was completed in 1154, followed by an infirmary and two inns. The nave was built in 1160, and cloisters followed soon after. The finished church was consecrated on March 8, 1209, by Archbishop of Rouen, Robert Poulon. By the time the 15th century rolled around, 1400s, the abbey was the most powerful in Normandy and home to hundreds of people. Thanks to good management, not to mention income from what they were able to sell, such as fish, wine, and honey, as well as the donations that continued to come in, the abbey was doing quite well for itself. Question though, how many pigeons were there by then? That's really important. They had two uh, dove houses at that point, so they probably had a lot of pigeons. Lots of pigeons. (laughs) So many pigeons. But the abbey was doing quite well for itself, even after the Hundred Years' War. In fact, when it ended in 1453, the abbey was no longer ruled by England, but by the French. Unfortunately, once the French took over control of the abbey... That prosperity they had been enjoying for so long soon took a turn for the worst. They went shopping too many times. (laughs) In the 17th century, the role of abbot was given to men who didn't live and work at Mortemer. Men who filled their pockets with the money that the monks had worked for, and as a result, the building they had worked so hard to build, crafted from limestone and flint, soon began to crumble. (sighs) That's depressing. 
Yeah. Greedy people suck. Yeah. Parliament de Luon couldn't let their abbey fall into disrepair. It would be an embarrassment. So a new refectory was built over the old cellars, but this resurgence would be short-lived. By the time the French Revolution rolled around, the abbey was suffering from a leaky roof. Even still, a small collection of five monks continued to live at the abbey in 1790 when it was attacked by French revolutionaries, who mistakenly believed that because it was a church, the monks must be squirreling away some sort of fortune. Because they've been going down, they've been going around and like raiding churches and taking everything they found of value. Well, to be fair, the monasteries didn't have to, they were part of that upper class within mm-hmm. the society. So they didn't have to pay taxes and stuff. So it's very likely that they would have had some kind of wealth. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it sounds like somebody else had already squandered it away. Yeah, the abbots had been taking all the money. It said that four monks were murdered during the assault and dragged into the cellars, where they were ultimately murdered amongst the broken wine barrels. The abbey and its farm were sold on March 31, 1791, to the sum of 84,200 lira, to a merchant grocer named Duvala. Duvala, who was from grand en became the owner of the lands, meadows, mill, buildings, bells, sacred vases, furniture, and ornaments of the abbey. Duvala sold off stones to builders before abandoning the property entirely when it no longer turned a profit. So he was basically just like, here, take, take whatever building blocks you want. It doesn't matter. In 1808, the abbey was purchased once again, resulting in some buildings being torn down while others were left intact. For those who thought that living in the 18th century mansion near the abbey was a good idea, uh, you'd be wrong. Haunted. <laughs> hey, yes. It has to be. It is so haunted, and we're going to yes! get into it. <laughs> the Dularoos, a wealthy Parisian family, consisted of a husband, wife, and their two children. They officially purchased the property in 1863, and one evening the children were walking across the lawn when they saw a soft light emanating from the locked library. At the time, they thought it was their mother, until they asked and she told them otherwise. Several terrifying encounters had been shared by the numerous owners of the mansion. Latches would unfasten on their own, handles would turn, and doors and windows would open by themselves. Paintings on the first floor of the home would either be found on the floor, unharmed, or turned to face the wall. Which, I don't know how that works if it's still hanging on the wall, but okay. It's probably back in the day when they didn't have it across the back of it. It was hung from the top. You just from like the wires. Mm-hmm. Footsteps could be heard in the empty corridors. Muffled voices could be heard inside the walls. Ugh. And the electric items in the home would stop working sporadically. Yes, that part's awesome. I don't like the voices in the walls, though. I'm pretty sure I would be convinced I was crazy in, like, five minutes. Yeah. The pink room, which is located above the former rectory, is supposedly haunted by an unnamed demonic presence and a procession of monks. Yes! (laughs) A little bit of both. (laughs) Many of the previous owners refused to so much as set foot inside the room. Which I wouldn't even. Wonder if they were more afraid of the demonic presence or the monks. I don't know. 
Lerdu, who took ownership of the property in the 1960s, experienced so much paranormal phenomena that he actually traveled to Nice to speak with one of Dularu's daughters about her experiences at the home. She told him a story of how one night her brother Charles's fiance came to stay, and she was given the pink room as it was the only one available at the time. No, they just didn't like her. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> After everyone went to bed, the girl was kept up all night as she was tormented by malevolent sounds and objects moving on their own about the room. The following morning, she was found pale and terrified brandishing an iron poker from the fireplace at her would-be attackers. After this, she announced that she would never live in the house, broke her engagement with Charles, and fled back to Paris. <laughs> the plan worked! She's gone! <laughs> Charles, move on. Nope. Nope. This is not happening. Nope. I love you, but not that much. Yep. Surprisingly, the daughter took over ownership of the pink room. After serving as a nurse during World War I, and being awarded a medal for bravery, she told her father simply, quote, I was never afraid in the trenches, end quote. That's the polite way of saying my balls are bigger than yours and <laughs> live in this room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Although the room was always quiet, she did admit years later that she always felt that she was being watched. That's a Ugh. gross feeling. Yeah, I don't like that. No. Neither. The only object that moved was a coat that fell off the hook onto the floor. But she did say that she looked out her window one night and observed a procession of monks gliding from the house towards the columbarium. That's the structure that's used for housing pigeons or doves. I had to look that up. Yeah, pigeons. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that is. In 1921, everything changed when the evil presence that I mentioned earlier started to make itself known. The Dularus had Abby Ombolt come to the property to perform an exorcism, but it wasn't successful. It was shortly after this that the Dularus left Mortimer and put it up for sale. It would take another 10 years before a buyer would step forward to claim it. There are more rumors of monks haunting the abbey. There was even an account of a robed ghost entering the woods surrounding the abbey to lead an English paratrooper to safety during World War II. Lairdu purchased the abbey in 1965, and in addition to the property, he also inherited the help of a farm worker named Lucian, who slept in the basement. Was he a werewolf? I don't know. <laughs> Lucian agreed to continue working at the property as long as his accommodations could be moved to somewhere else. He explained that since he'd arrived at the abbey around six years prior, he'd been harassed and terrorized by noises at night. From 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. each night, he would hear the sounds of footsteps in the corridor above him. Lucian was noted as saying, quote, These steps in the hall. At night, I hear them so well that they wake me up. It's been going on for years. I cannot take it anymore. For nothing in the world would I want to go back to sleep there, end quote. Maybe it's not just him going, I hate sleeping in a basement. Yeah, I was having the same thought. Like, I wouldn't want to just chill in the basement all the time. Yeah. No. As a result, Lerdu set Lucian up in a cottage nearby. Much like the monks, a white woman is said to also occupy the ruins of the abbey. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love the pigeons so much. <laughs> I do, and I am a white woman. <laughs> Legends and local lore suggest that it is the spirit of Empress Matilda of England, who was forced into confinement at the Abbey by her father, King Henry I. Thought you were going to say her husband, but it was still a man. So it was it still a man. <laughs> she was held at the Abbey for five years. Following her peaceful death in Rouen at the age of 65, it's said that her spirit returned to the Abbey after her burial in a small chapel at Rouen Cathedral. She's said to wander the grounds on moonlit nights and head towards the ancient pools as she drifts amongst the ruins. It is said that if you happen to see her specter, and she's wearing black gloves, you will die within a year. But if she happens to be wearing white gloves, you may find some luck in your future. However, if you see her more than once, you will die an untimely death. Doesn't matter what kind of gloves she's wearing. It's me. The Abbey, which is now run by Jacqueline Calfon, is so popular as a paranormal destination that they hold annual ghost nights in the summer including candlelit tours around the grounds and mansion. Let's go. That sounds spooky. Let's go. Mm-hmm. Let's go. I need a passport out. <laughs> All right. We need you to please, dear patrons, go up and sign up for our Patreon and help support us. Support this trip. We'll, we'll tell you all about it, but yep. only through Patreon. Yep. We'll videotape the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'll agree to be on camera even. So there you go. Yep. One witness who was left alone in the Abbey heard the sounds of footsteps on the ground floor. After investigating, he was unable to find the source of the sound. When asked about it, he said, quote, it was the heavy steps of someone walking slowly and thinking. I really was very scared, and even today I do not know what to think, end quote. What does, does he one think, thinking like, sound like? The slow walk of the pondering gentleman. Is he pondering how to murder me? Like, what? Why would you be scared of somebody slowly pondering? How would you know. know that they're pondering? Maybe they're just a slow walker. <laughs> Maybe they're Maybe really old. old. Yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they just have a lot of joint pain. You ever think about that? No, because you only think about yourself. <laughs> Maybe the head abbot was calling them up for a chore that they didn't want to do, so they were dragging their feet as long as yep. they could. Fun fact. In the building in the center of the property, you can find a small fountain, the Salt Catherine Fountain, where it's rumored young girls visited in order to find a husband within the year. It's said that a woman threw a hairpin into the Salt Catherine Fountain, and the following year she returned with her husband. So, if you believe in that shit, go ahead. Everyone knows correlation (laughs) equals causation. Oh, wait. No, they say it doesn't. Shit. (laughs) <laughs> that was a lie I lied to you how dare I ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2021 Normandy then and now blog post titled the unquiet soul of Abbey de Mortemer a 2020 Paris Unlocked article titled lore and legends a few famous French ghosts and hauntings by Courtney Traub Abbey Mortemer official website article titled the Mortemer Abbey history Abbey Mortimer official website article titled Tales and Legends of Mortimer Abbey and Wikipedia. Do you feel like they ever, somebody gets all snotty and they're like, Mortimered? I hope not. Would it be like the dead shit then? (laughs) (laughs) Like what? What would it be called then? (laughs) 
Welcome to, to the dead shit, Abby. <laughs> well, there would be a lot of shit though because of all those <laughs> so you just you got you can't be too careful when you got a lot of birds, you know. And a lot of people did die there, so it is an accurate description, I suppose. <laughs> Sorry, France. You see this weird white spectral thing go dripping down by your eyes, and you realize it's ghost pigeon poo. Ugh. It is. Don't get it on you. Can't wash it out. <laughs> Don't go, into this, don't go into the, the pigeon buildings. I've already forgotten what they're called. <laughs> Me too. Col- columbariums. Columbariums. <laughs> All right. Thirsty? I'll grab you a refill and be right back. Don't drink it. There's pigeon. <laughs> Welcome to Four Top Threes, where four friends list our top three favorite things about a random subject of choice. You might be wondering, hey, I already have like 75 other podcasts that is basically just for people who are friends talking bullshit at each other. Why should I be listening to this? We are actually from four different countries, so we are hoping to bring four different perspectives on all of these topics that we are about to choose. You throw Lion King out there like a dirty rag and then you <laughs> pontificate over Lilo and Stitch. That was very good. I thought you tried to give them back. No, Did you purchase no. a month of milk and bananas? Could, you, could I return them? I haven't opened them yet. <laughs> no, spent the night with two of the milks. Turkeys could talk. They'd sound like Mr. Meeseeks. <laughs> I was afraid to live this long. Kill me. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, friends of the turkeys. I love it. Oh, fuck my face. <laughs> You can find four top threes wherever you find your podcasts and we release at the end of every month. See you then. I hope you saved room for petite fours because you're not going to want to bring this one home with you. Built in the 11th century in the Loire Valley, Chateau de Brizac has seen numerous brutal and grisly deaths in its thousand year long history. Chateau de Brizac is located near Angers and quite the building. The medieval structure was originally built by Pierre Dobrozy, minister of King Louis XI. I had forgotten what Roman numerals looked like, so it <laughs> took me a second. It happens. X means 10. Louis the XI. <laughs> it boasts over 200 rooms. It's remarkably preserved and originally built as a fortress by the Counts of Anjou. The Chateau de Brizac was acquired on May 26, 1502 by an Anjou nobleman named René Ducos. His descendants continue to own the property to this day. So that's pretty impressive. Generational wealth. Gotta love it. Yep. I just, I couldn't find out if they were inbred or not. I'm, I'm assuming not. <laughs> If it wasn't noted somewhere. One of them probably had hemophilia. (laughs) (laughs) Emmett is very interested in your story. So he came to pay a visit. He says, hello. Hi, Emmett. Emmett. In 1600, the first Duke of Brizac had the new and current palace constructed by Jacques Corbino. (laughs) The construction ceased after the death of the Duke, Charles II Ducasse, in 1621. With the exception of the watchtowers, the castle was built in the Renaissance style and has since belonged to the Cos Brizac family. The 13th Duke of Brizac is its current inhabitant. 
Okay, but did anything ever happen all along the watchtowers? I don't know. I think the watchtowers are the only thing that still remains of the original fortress. Everything else was finished. Haunted. (laughs) The watchtowers are haunted AF. (laughs) One of the most famous tales is that of Charlotte Duvalois, who was the wife of Lord Jacques du Brésil in the 1400s. Charlotte was the illegitimate child of King Charles of France. Charlotte was such a bastard. She was such a bastard. (laughs) Jacques loved to go hunting, and after a day of such, he came home to have dinner with his wife before they both retired to their separate rooms. Their marriage was a political one, and they did not love one another. Later that evening, Jacques was woken by his servant, only to be told that his wife was entertaining a male caller. Uh Hell yeah, get yours, honey. One of his hunting partners. (laughs) Even though they didn't love each other, she was still his wife and he was pissed. Because she stole his property. property. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Jacques grabbed his sword and brutally attacked both of them to the point that by the time they were dead, they both had sustained almost 100 wounds. (gasps) Wow, Jacques. You're an asshole. That's, oh, talk about overkill. Like, that's yeah. legitimate overkill. She was only 30 when she was murdered. Jeez. What you may not know until this very moment when I tell you is that Charlotte was the half sister of King Louis VI. <sighs> After her murder, the king stripped Jacques of all his titles and land, including the castle. This is the only time I'm ever going to say this, so listen closely. Way to go, King Louis. <laughs> <laughs> He's not gonna have this guy murdered. He's just gonna strip him of his just gonna strip him of his properties. Well, I didn't hear what happened to him after that, so I don't know if he was uh put out to pasture, quote unquote, or uh, <laughs> he, he might have disappeared into a prison somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But honestly, let's be real, rich people can't handle living poor, so he did not make it that long. <laughs> <laughs> no way. It's said that Charlotte's spirit has never left the castle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's brutally murdered. Yep. That her traumatic death has forever tied her to it. She is said to wander the castle at night, and her specter appears on the walls of the castle wearing a green dress that is full of bloody gaping holes. That's gross. Her ghost is silent. But if you should encounter her in her former bedchamber where she was slain, you can expect to hear deathly moans and cries of anguish until the sun rises. That poor woman. I know. You didn't even love her. Just let it go, you creep. Mm-hmm. Charlotte has a habit of appearing regularly on stormy nights and typically haunts the chapel tower. According to Wesley McDermott, she has scared many guests to the castle. Quote, she is often seen in the tower room of the chapel wearing her green dress. What's most terrifying, however, is her face. If she looks at you, you'll see that her face has gaping holes where her eyes and nose (gasps) should be, resembling a corpse. Oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. Mm -mm. As well as her sighting, her moans are also often heard throughout the castle in the early hours. End quote. And I'm going to leave you on a fun fact. In the mid-1990s, the chateau was the setting of the Iron Chef French Battles of the original Iron Chef TV series. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I used to love watching that. Yeah, it was... I think one of the challenges was Eel was one of them. And I can't remember what the other one was. But it was an interesting fun fact. Ingredients for this dish were sourced from a 2020 Paris Unlocked article titled Lauren Legends, A Few Famous French Ghosts and Hauntings by Courtney Traub. 2019 Max Gax blog post titled Top 10 Scary French Urban Legends. Great Castles article titled Green Lady of Chateau de Brizac. Les Chateaux de la Loire page on Chateau de Brizac and Wikipedia. You did it. You spoke French. I did. Very poorly. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Still better than mine, so no worries. (laughs) I tried. I cannot do it. I am sorry, France. You know what would be really funny, which I would love, is if we had people from these regions around the world write in reviews, but do a, a thing where they write the review in their language and then they write it in English. And then we oh. read them on the air as best as we can. <laughs> That's like I think that would be amazing. Didn't um, some of John's Filipino listeners do that? They'd write mm-hmm. in Tagalog and then also in English. <laughs> and they'd yeah. have like Josh trying to pronounce it. Poor Josh. That was funny. That was funny. So, dear patrons, if that's something that you'd like to hear on the show, please feel free to write in a review in your native language and then in English and listen to us just absolutely butcher your native language. And we're going to force whoever has the hardest time with that language to read it. (laughs) So I will be stuck with the French ones, but I don't know. Like, you can't have the German ones, Lindsay. You're too good. I know. <laughs> I, I like to speak aggressively <laughs> in the Slavic languages. <laughs> None for you. You have all of the Romance languages except for France. I'm stuck with French. <laughs> Nine. <laughs> well, on that note, does anybody have anything good they'd like to share or interesting? Something fun? Hmm. That's a good question. <laughs> I love how we're always surprised that this happens. <laughs> like, no one ever thinks about it ahead I will say one thing I'm very excited about is the news that came out about the Endurance and how they found the ship really well preserved under the ice, which makes sense because why, Kona? I'm telling a fun story. I'm ruining it. <laughs> and for people that don't know, that's from the Shacklebolt expedition to antarctica as they were trying to find the arctic uh, which was a big deal in like the late 1800s early 1900s and it's one of the few arctic expeditions where the whole crew actually survived and there weren't any acts of cannibalism that took place that wasn't always the case in a lot of these instances so uh yeah very cool I really wish we would have ended with that story so that the episode was bookended by cannibalism. <laughs> I can always move it. We can always edit it. We like to move it, move it here at Pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> I am not drunk. I'm just fucking weird. <laughs> um, okay. Everyone's going to feel bad for me because my good thing is always TV related because I have no life and like I'm a sad little shut in person. (laughs) But I have to just follow up that severance has been so good 
And I'm like eating that shit up. And I really, really, really can't wait for the next episode because this past week's was so good. Mm-hmm. Have you tried Servant yet? No. That one's weird. That's another, that's dark and it's a thriller. It really messes with your head. I just finished, okay, so I caved and resubscribed to Hulu again temporarily just so I could watch only murders in the room because I've been hearing such good stuff about it. I binged through all 10 episodes this weekend. (laughs) And that's on top of not being able to stop writing yesterday, like from the second I woke up until I needed to start recording for the other show. So I squeezed that shit in. (laughs) You were like, I need another episode. It's so good. Like, I was having a really hard time turning it off because, well... We all know how autoplay goes, but sometimes it's just really hard to stop watching something True. because you want to know what happened. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for season two, man. That's the way Servant has been. I've been binging that one. Who's it? Who's in that one, Em? Actors that we know? None. Okay, I'm going to look it up. Oh, no, I take it back. It has um, Rupert Grint is in it. Mm. How have I not even noticed this one on the thumbnails? It's re- it's dark. So what happens is this woman has lost her baby and it's been replaced with a a changeling. It's a fake baby that's supposed to help recover, help deal with grief. Oh, oh shit. I'm going to watch the hell out of this. It's creepy. I'm having such deja vu right now. It's not like a horror, but it's definitely creepy. And it, it, you never really know what's going on or what's real. <laughs> That sounds awesome. I don't know how I have not, because like they have the little preview for the for other Apple shows at the beginning. I don't know how I haven't seen one for that yet, but I'm definitely gonna check that out. I have to watch that like immediately. That and I want to try Ptolemy, the last days of Ptolemy Gray. Samuel L. Jackson. It looks so good, right? Yes. Oh my god. Here's the thing. How are we not being sponsored by Apple TV yet? Because (laughs) I have a serious problem and I can't stop. And every time I'm like, oh, I'm going to switch. That's why I canceled Hulu because I like wasn't watching anything on it. Because every time Apple has a new show, I end up obsessed with it, even if it's one of the not as good ones. Mm -hmm. You got to watch that. Well, I guess uh, my something good is... uh Recently started the TikTok page for Pineapple Pizza, and I've been having fun doing that. So it's right now I'm still getting my feet wet with it because I have never done anything with TikTok before. So, But uh, recapping old episodes and upcoming episodes. And then I did a video the other day. I think I sent it to you guys where I turned my child into a cryptid. Yes, I saw that. He loved it so much that he wants me to write a whole story like a whole mythos behind this cryptid that i invented out of him digging around in the snow it was pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) so i think that might be on my to-do list for a story by the slice i'll just pop up with this totally totally fake cryptid that i'm gonna make up there you go that sounds like a lot of fun we have to do it i think it'll be a lot of fun so that's my son awesome well, on that note, thank you for visiting our beautiful pizzeria and enjoying some freaky French urban legends. Pineapple Pizza Podcast. Sweet and cheesy, and not everyone understands our awesomeness, but we're glad that you do? Question mark? Subscribe! Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> 
rate, review, subscribe. Check out the website. All that stuff. <laughs>